It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. And we, we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. 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 I'm like, hey, what's going on? Welcome, welcome, welcome to Miked Up on Ohm. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden. I'm live in the studio. I'm doing all things. I'm doing, uh, yeah, I'm doing a lot right now. I'm holding down the board. It's a pre-MLK day Miked Up. And so um, I wanted to just do a very special deep dive of show today based on what I think are the more forgotten aspects of MLK Day. So today's show, um, today's show is going to be primarily, hey, everyone watching, hey, Greg, sorry about our fantasy football situation. <laughs> um, I'm waving to f- people on uh, Facebook Live. Yeah, if you ever wanted to engage with me uh, on social media, I typically do a lot on IG. I typically do a lot on, well, do some on Twitter. Um, but I'm trying to be more consistent and maybe on Facebook Live. But I, I want people to be able to hear the show. And, and I often play clips. So I think I got it right right now. I think I got everything straight so whereas uh people can hear people who watch online if they do come in and out they can hear the audio that i play that i that i use the clips that i use in the studio so yeah today's about um martin Luther king day um there's a lot going on this weekend and not just charleston but in uh and throughout all of south carolina to commemorate uh, dr martin luther king jr so today what i wanted to do is pull largely from um a book that I, I have not read completely but a friend of mine recommended the book uh the radical king and i'm going to hold it up for those on um facebook live yeah the radical king uh and it is um edited and introduced by cornell west and what it is is a, it's an assortment of letters uh correspondences speeches uh, a lot of different things uh, that tell you, that give you a better look into Martin Luther King and his actual work. Um, I'm going to, instead of like explaining all that, there's a great clip on YouTube that I found where, hey, Courtney, hey, Mary. <laughs> um, there's a great clip that I found on um, uh, on YouTube where Cornell West, actually, he's talking with C-SPAN and he, he goes into uh, the book and why it's important to remember Martin Luther King in uh, as a radical leader, as a revolutionary leader, as a pacifist, as someone who was against capitalism, as someone who was against war, specifically the Vietnam War, um, and and all those radical concepts that we tend to tend to get whitewashed every year. And with King Day on the at the dome uh, about to pop off uh, this what Monday, um, there's going to be a fan, there's going to be a flurry of act of uh, politicians. A flurry of activists all descending on Columbia to commemorate Dr. King. And it's important that when we do that, we don't whitewash him. We keep it a buck. Uh, so I'm going to I'm going to play that clip. But before I do that, too, I want to kind of for those listening live to Mike up in Charleston right now uh, on the peninsula. Um, I just want to um, say shout out to Black Voters Matter today. This week was a great week. Um, this Monday, I was able to uh, support two of my friends who are also Black Voters Matter uh, partners, Vanity Dieterville and my friend Benny Starr. Um, 
they were flown out to CNN uh, up in New York, uh, and and they were able to participate in the South Carolina Black Voters Panel discussion. They filmed for about an hour, um, and they this morning was actually uh, part one aired on CNN after a lot of uh Woo, impeachment bumped that segment a couple of days. So um, shout out to Benny and, and Vanity. They did amazing uh, on that panel. And so I will be also, I'm going to link that audio. Um, if you guys listen to Mic'd Up and podcast form on iTunes or SoundCloud, I'm going to include the panel discussion uh, audio. Um, hey, Don, Merkel. Uh, hey, Christy. So, yeah, I'll include that the, the South Carolina uh, voter panel, black voters panel uh, in, in the in on the podcast platform. I also want to just say, y'all know I'm a South Carolina. I'm the I'm the South Carolina coordinator for Black Voters Matter. Um, I love my job. I love what we do. I love that we work in these unapologetically black ways to not just um, get people to vote. I think that's the biggest myth. We don't just get people to vote. Black Voters Matter is all about building power in black communities, sustaining power. So we know right now with all of the politicians coming in, with all the money being dumped in this current election, with the Democratic primary on the horizon, a lot of people coming in here with bags of cash and with promises and with cameras uh, giving us a lot of attention. But Black Voters Matter, what makes them so different is that they want to be they want to have a position in the south and throughout the country where they're, they're actually supporting and um, yeah, supporting grassroots efforts for the long haul, like a long term commitment. And so um, they were they were the, the folks that helped us get to CNN, help my partners, uh, Benny and Vanity get to CNN. They also were, are instrumental in building power uh, in, in the South, especially uh, Georgia and all these other states that uh, have uh, rampant voter suppression going on. Uh, and so I also want to just put put on people's radar that next week, the Black Voters Matter uh, uh, bus tour will kick off in South Carolina. So I, this is my first bus tour. I was a little apprehensive, but shout out to Cliff, shout out to Dean, especially Dean, my homie, for helping me with this tour. It's coming together. I'm hoping that my friend... That all, I'm hoping that all my friends come and, and support the tour. So far, we've had, got the Charity Foundation that's uh, headed up by Nashonda Hunter. So hopefully we'll have that in North Charleston. We have uh, a group in Edie Town slash Pineville, South Carolina, that's going to be part of the tour. We're going to Columbia. And there's some other surprises that I'm working on as well. I want to engage the teachers here in Charleston, in South Carolina, rather. I want to engage um, a lot of people that I met. Shout out to, uh, to Darren and shout out to Courtney from the Avery this week this week was a flurry I was in New York um and then I then we had the Avery an exhibition popped off the Avery reopened its doors after this massive two million dollar renovation um I want to say thank you to them for letting Black Voters Matter table there please y'all support the Avery all the white folks that ask me how they can help black people in in Charleston support the Avery put your money where your mouth is Please donate and support Darren, su- support Courtney, support all of the interns and all of the, the, the people that worked there to make that uh, place what it is. Um, I had no clue. I knew a lot of people were going to come out to the reopening. Don't don't get it twisted. I knew a lot of people were going to come out. But I had no clue that 
I was going to encounter civil rights icons in the way, the volume, and in the, in the fashion I did. So um, that's just the power of the legacy. Hey, um, Jermaine, that's just the power of the legacy of the Avery Institute. So please support the Avery Institute. Um, and, and I brought that up because I'm hoping that some of the people that I met that night that I tabled on Wednesday at the Avery Institute, I hope that they can join the Black Voters Matter bus tour coming to South Carolina next week. So next weekend, it's coming to South Carolina again, Edieville, excuse me, Edie Town slash Pineville, Columbia and North Charleston. And I'm hoping to add some a couple more things on there. Hopefully Dean and Cliff don't get upset, but I'm trying to add some really influential folks. And, and I really want to hear from teachers. So if you're listening to me live right now, um, uh, either on the peninsula or on Facebook Live, please hit up any educator, you know, that's currently organizing for um, and advocating for teachers and for students in schools. Um, SC for Ed. Please let them. Con- please tell them to contact me. I'm Mika, M-I-K-A, at blackvotersmatterfund.org. And you can just hit me up in my DMs at Charleston Activist Network. If you have my old uh, email address, I should have it. Please, if you know any teachers, uh, any anyone that's uh, working with SC for Ed, please let them um, know that Mika, and I already sent out emails and all that other stuff, but please let them know that I would love to have them participate in this tour. Yeah, thank you so much, Jazz. Thank you. Jazz is actually the person whose shoes I feel, so thank you so much, Jazz. Um, it's good to see you on the live. Um, so, yeah, so it's MLK Day. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I got the name. Thank you, Jad. <laughs> it's so weird doing a live show um, with uh, Facebook Live, too, but it's dope. Uh, okay, so let's hop back into it. Okay, boom. So we're going to hop back into our MLK show, MLK Day show. Again, I'm holding up the book for people on uh, on social media. It's The Radical King. <laughs> My mic is like mad husky right now in my face. Yeah, uh, it's The Radical King. It's uh, introduced and edited by Cornell West. And what I'm going to do now is play a clip, make sure all my audio, um, yeah, everything's turned up nice and, and bright. Thank you, Jazz. Um, I'm going to play Let me find the clip first. And again, um, this pretty much articulates it way better than I can Oh, how we should remember Dr. King, how we should avoid sanitizing his legacy and stop turning him into Santa Claus and look and, t- and look at him and review him and 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 regard him as the revolutionary figure he was. So here's Cornell West. Uh, this is from C-SPAN. And again, if you listen to the show on demand on iTunes or SoundCloud, you will get all links to all this audio that I'm going to play today. And we're going to hear from Coretta, too, because we cannot, as as Bernice says, do not forget don't forget Coretta Scott King. So we are not going to forget Coretta Scott King um, on this weekend. No, no, no. She has some revolutionary ideas of her own. She stood on her own. She came to Charleston. Dr. King, of course, spent time in Charleston with Esau Jenkins and with Septima Clark. We're going to get into all that. But let me play this clip about the radical king. Dr. West, it is a real delight to have you here on this show. Um, I am grateful myself for being invited to have the an occasion to interview you about this new edited volume on Dr. King, The Radical King, Martin Luther King Jr., edited and introduced by Cornel West. This is a real treasure of some of the most important speeches and letters and published documents of Dr. King. So what inspired you to do this project? Well, one, no, brother, I just want to begin by saluting you. Magnificent work you do at the Schomburg, though, brother. You're a caretaker of one of the great institutions in the American empire. You do it with such elegance and such vision. 
and such sensitivity and your scholarship actually for me especially in terms of this discourse on hyper incarceration among poor people disproportionately chocolate is crucial so just be able to spend this time with you my brother Thank is you. a beautiful Thank thing you. but when we think of brother martin king we really are thinking of the same tradition that produced you that produced me he's one of the great moments in the uh, tradition of a grand people who in the face of terror and trauma and stigma was able to generate levels of love and vision and, and, and unbelievable high quality service to the least of these. He is a Christian minister first and foremost. That is his calling. And what I thought is very important, you and I know that Brother Martin gets deodorized every January. <laughs> he gets sanitized and sterilized every January. Santa classified. Yeah, they Santa classified it, Brother. <laughs> turned what do you mean it, by that? Turned exactly. it to an old man with a smile, toys in his bag, handing out gifts. Everybody got a smile on their face and the FBI is saying, you're the most, he's the most dangerous man in America. And other black leaders are saying when he's trying to organize poor people and critiques of Vietnam put forward with such power, he's now betraying the movement. He's un-American. He's a traitor to the country and so forth. And so what does Martin do? He says, you never knew me. You never knew me. I'm called to love babies in Vietnam babies in Appalachia, babies in the south side of Chicago, babies in Harlem, babies in Ethiopia. I'm a Christian minister. For me, justice is what love looks like in public, just like tenderness is what love feels like in private. That's Martin King. But there's no Martin without Ella Baker, without Stokely right. Carmichael, without so many of the Freedom of Diane Nash. We can go on and on. Fannie Lou Hamer. Talk a little bit for a moment about the Santa clausification with respect to African Americans, because I think that Part of what you're describing is a kind of historical amnesia for the fact that Dr. King was not always well-loved within the black community. And you cite a pretty remarkable poll uh, from late in his life that says that 55% uh, of African Americans did not support Dr. King on Vietnam and ending poverty. And I think it was the ending poverty part that caught me off guard. Yes, yes, no, it's true, and it's very sad. You got 72% of Americans across the board, all colors, and 55% of black people disapproving with Martin. You remember what Whitney Young said to Brother Martin in terms of, uh, you're setting back the black freedom movement. Martin looked at him and said, oh, what you say may get you money from a corporation, but it won't get you a foothold in the kingdom of truth. Mm. Typical intra-struggle against black, within black leadership over where to go. See, Martin was saying, corporation's not gonna dictate what my conscience actually is. Right. I know the difference between right, right and wrong. Absolutely. And big money and all of the thrills and access to power is not going to determine what I say. You see, Martin was like, uh, he liked John Coltrane. Man, he could have been doing my favorite things for the rest of his career and been a multi-multi-millionaire. He brings in Eric Dolphy, Archie Shep, Young Brothers. We gonna go free jazz. What's Coltrane doing? Being true right. to himself. Well, you see, this is to me, the real standard of uh, what we need in this present moment. And so we got a lot of black people, for example, who say they love Martin Luther King Jr. And they talk about speaking truth to power, but they don't want to speak truth to the present power. Mm -hmm. You we see what I mean? Yeah, they want to be accommodationists. That's not Brother Martin. And there's nothing wrong with being accommodationist if you're honest about it and acknowledge what its limitations are. But don't lie to yourself right. and acting as if you're so progressive and prophetic when you're really just a, uh, 
uh, cheerleader and a bootlicker. I mean, you got to be <laughs> honest and candid about these things. So uh, we're going to get to that for sure. sure but I, but sure, I, do, sure. I do want to ask you a little bit more about the book itself. Absolutely. So is the, well, first of all, define, uh, you've already kind of defined the radical king. Yes. But in terms of the text itself, was the radical king hidden in plain sight in terms of the actual textual record of his words and his wisdom? Um, or did you have to pull up or pull out obscure passages and texts from more well-known uh, mm. speeches that he gave. I'm curious about yes, the, the approach to the compilation question. itself. You, you, when, when my dear sister uh, Coretta Scott King, she to me legendary, just a level of dignity and grace that's beyond description. When I first met her in 1986, I gave a speech there at U.S. Capitol when they brought in the statue of Brother Martin with Bob Moses and the others. This she is 1986? 1986. Okay, so this is before the King holiday. Oh. This is 10 years into the annual fight in That's FBI exactly records right. informing right. members of Congress that King was, was subversive and was the, the most dangerous the Negro the in America. Dangerous? That's exactly right. right. Okay. And she, she said, when I, on my first date, Martin said, I bet you never met a black socialist, have you? She said, no, <laughs> I'm in Alabama, I went to Antioch, I'm at New School Conservatory of Music, I'm not used to running into black socialists. He said, yes, because his hero was not just Walter Shivers, who taught sociology at Morehouse from 1928 on into the 1960s, and he would teach courses on Weber, Durkheim, Marx, you know, the great sociologists that you studied yep. and yep. taught and professor at Indiana University, but uh, also Norman Thomas, mm -hmm. you see, and of course the essay in the book, The Bravest Man I Ever Met. Who was Norman Thomas? Well, he was Phi Beta Kappa from Princeton, class 1905, Union Seminary, 1911. Turned down the big church on the east side of New York in order to pastor in Harlem. Lost his Christian faith, became a socialist, ran for socialist, uh, ran the Socialist Party Governor. for many, many times, ran for right. so many offices. Right. But, of course, spoke at, uh, at the uh, March on Washington. Mm -hmm. Vanilla Brother in the history of John Brown, Miles Horton, Ann Braden, we can go on and on. White brothers and sisters fundamentally committed to the freedom of everybody, including black people. And Martin says, Norman Thomas is a fundamental part of who I am. Yeah. He's not as much as Benjamin Mays was. Benjamin Mays is legendary, iconic for good reasons, right? Okay, I'm gonna stop Cornell right there. He can go on and on. And actually, we kind of got caught up uh, in that, so yeah, for those listening on uh, listening live uh, on the peninsula, either in your car, or at your job, at the desk, or streaming wherever you at on the treadmill, Hampton Park, uh, White Point Garden, wherever you at in Charleston, this is Mike'd Up on Om. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden. It's our hour of revolutionary, radical, unapologetically black activist message slash Gullah Geechee advocacy radio hour um and yeah I'm, I'm talking about today i'm making the um making it a point for us to not whitewash mlk's legacy as we approach uh mlk day uh and we uh have a lot of festivities this weekend it's friday as of now um as day of this recording uh and everyone is preparing for um mlk day to either celebrate or either observe it quietly. It's a day of service. It's a day for me of stillness and reflection. Even though I won't be still, <laughs> um, I will be um, very active on MLK Day. But um, what's most important is that um, 
is that um, I know that I'm doing what, I, what, what I'm called to do and, and I feel good about it. I know I'm not working in the traditional sense on MLK Day, which is more important than anything, being that MLK was not a capitalist. And uh, yeah, so we want to make sure that we maintain Kingian values when we observe the holiday. Um, and it is for a lot of folks. I know in my previous employers, they made it a day of service, which was weird because like it, they didn't close. But in my previous my previous employers would at least have volunteer opportunities for us to not work on that day, but instead um, volunteer our time um, uh, to to, to uh, I guess uh, to celebrate the king's uh, legacy. So the clip you just heard was Cornell West. He was discussing a very um, a book that I need to jump into. A friend uh, suggested a book to me a while ago, like a year ago. It's the Radical King. It's edited and introduced by Cornell West, and it's a, like a it's an assemblage of um, essays, of correspondences between he and his wife, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and his wife Coretta. Um, it's a lot of things in in here: notes, letters, speeches. You name it. And I just want to read from inside the um, book jacket. Um, It's just an excerpt from a correspondence that is actually uh, completely. It's a correspondence that's inside the book. But um, in the book jacket, they just take a little excerpt. And it's it's written to Coretta Scott. This is before they were married, though, in July of 1952. So this is from Dr. King. Uh, And this is, I quote, I imagine you already know that I am much more socialistic in my economic theory than capitalistic. Capitalism started out with a noble and high motive, but like most human systems, it fell victim to the very thing it was revolting against. And that, to me, that was Martin Luther King uh, writing uh, his then, I guess, he was courting Coretta Scott, and they would correspond like that. Um, and that, to me, is it's just really important that we remember him as as revolutionary as he was. Um, it's, it's, so, it's so important that we do that. And um, also, I'm going to read a little bit more inside the jacket. Uh, Every year, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is celebrated as one of the greatest orators, excuse me, orators in U.S. history, an ambassador for nonviolence who became perhaps the most recognizable leader of the civil rights movement. But after more than 40 years, few people appreciate how truly radical he was. Arranged thematically in four parts, The Radical King includes 23 selections curated and introduced by Dr. Cornell West that illustrate King's revolutionary vision, underscoring his identification with the poor, his unapologetic opposition to the Vietnam War, and, pardon me, and his crusade against global imperialism. Uh, as, as West writes, although much of America did not know The Radical King, and too few know today, the FBI and the U.S. government did. And so I think it's important, like we don't, like he said in the clip, we don't turn him into Santa Claus. You know, it's, it's important that we we regard him in, in the way he should be regarded. The next thing I want to do, um, I want to make sure I don't run out of time. Last week, I kind of ran out of time. I want to play this clip. This is my favorite clip. I post this clip every, every year. And it's the clip where Dr. King is, is literally calling for reparations. He's calling for reparations. Um, reparative uh, justice for for poor people and for black people and I just want to play this this is um, one of the last speeches toward the it was toward the end of his life so I want to play this speech it's only like a a minute and 14 seconds so here we go should be let me make sure the volume is turned it here we go at the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land through an act of Congress Our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which
which meant that it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. Not only that, today many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to farm, and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. Now, this is what we are faced with, and this is a reality. Now, when we come to Washington in this campaign, we are coming to get our check. That's my favorite. Like, I know everyone has, like, their I have a dream or whatever speech you were um, encouraged to recite as a kid in either school or church, if you, especially in the black church. That's my favorite MLK quote is next time we go to Washington, we're coming to get our check. You're listening to Mike Up on Ohm. This is Mika Gadsden. Uh, thanks for tuning in. This is Please Support Ohm Radio. This is your uh, commercial-free, nonprofit radio station holding it down, local radio, local media. Local media matters, y'all. Black media matters as well. All right, and we're talking about us not sanitizing Dr. King uh, in preparation for uh, our celebrating Dr. King Day. So I'm going to reduce that window. I'm just Y'all should see me like my... My whole situation up here is is, is thorough. Um, okay, so let me see. The next clip I want to play. Let me see. I don't know if I want to play another clip. Let me see. No, um, not right now. I'm going to play Coretta in a minute. But what I wanted to do is just continue the discussion. Oh, yeah, I wanted to kind of talk about some, uh, some newspaper clips that I found. I'm going to start my live back again. Some newspaper clips that I found um, uh, here in the library today. Um, I was just, I was stoked. As many of you know, I love the library. It's the most subversive uh, uh, subversive system we have. Um, but I wanted to kind of just talk about um, a clip, a newspaper clipping I found. Let me enhance it. Okay, let me see if I can, yeah, here we go. So it's a news clip I found um, on uh, Dr. King's visit. I believe this was his last visit to, um, to Charleston. Um, let me see if I can reduce this. Yeah. So yeah, this was um it, this was July thirtieth, nineteen sixty seven, and so Dr. King was uh, addressing uh, an audience at the county hall. I'm reading the caption below the photo I'm looking at. So this is a clip from nineteen sixty seven. Uh, whatever the Post and Courier was at that time, it wasn't the it wasn't called the Post and Courier. I don't know if it was called the Evening Post, um, but um, uh, it, so basically. It's him in the pictures. Him, it's Esau Jenkins, um, and some other. Let me see, John Reverend John T. Enright, a pastor. Um, I can't read it. The, the newspaper is a little bit. Of course, it's, it's the literal. It's the exact newspaper from 1967, so it's not perfectly, um, you know, preserved. But I'm looking at this, and and Dr. King is. Um, the headline is, King deplores poverty comma writing rioting um and there's a quote that he's saying people starving in sc in south carolina so just this is just an amazing image and i'm going to post this hey jennifer i'm going to post this um 
this uh, image of this newspaper clipping of Dr. King in Charleston, South Carolina in 1967 in one of his um, last visits. And what what struck me is, uh, and shout out to Caitlin Bird from the Post and Courier. Caitlin was actually the person that um, put me onto this. I believe she's writing some amazing pieces on MLK uh, this weekend because of King Day at the Dome in, in Columbia and whatnot. Um, and, Ka- and she she was the one that rummaged through uh, the Post and Courier's archives on her end, and that inspired me to go to the library and find it on my end. And what I, what struck me about this um, piece is that um, Dr. King is, is, is railing against the, some of the same things in South Carolina um, that we're up against now. Um, poverty, um, starvation, uh, you know, and, and um, it was funny because this, this um, the reporter on this, this is Thomas Mays, he kind of just did like a kind of a boilerplate like type of piece on Dr. King. But in other uh, days around Dr. King's visit to um, to, to Charleston, I found some really, it, it really showed you how folks really looked at Dr. King. So it's not, um, for those who do know, Dr. King did not die popular. In fact, a lot of Americans, including black Americans, really thought he was a troublemaker and a rebel rouser near the time of his death. He was still doing great work. He was, um, you know, of course, he was he was assassinated um, after going visiting uh, the sanitation workers in Tennessee and trying to help them advocate for better wages and better conditions. Um, after a certain sanitation worker w- was killed, I think either at least one was killed. Um and so he was doing great work, but he was not seen as um, he wasn't seen in, in a favorable light. And so um, it's interesting to, to know that both blacks and, and whites, you know, they had their opinions about him. But the reporting, the Charleston reporting on Dr. King around this time, 1967, not only the reporting, I looked at some of the, the um, opinion columns and whoo. Woo, there was a lot, a lot going on. And those know, everyone knows, well, not everyone, those who are familiar with the Post and Courier's uh, legacy. Post and Courier was, a, was the Evening Post, and there was something else, I think mean, the News and Courier. And through its previous iterations, it was very conservative, and I'm being very generous. Let me, let me keep it a buck. They were very racist, right? And you could kind of see some of that through some of the reporting. Dr. King came to either like a, a Mother Emanuel and whatnot. Um, but it was just really, it was like seeing Dr. King advocating for things that we still challenge with now, poverty, um, you know, better working conditions. Um, Dr. King was reeling against, um, he, he was a nonviolent, he was an advocate of nonviolent, he was a pacifist. So he didn't like the riots that were popping up, I guess, in like the areas like Newark and Watts and other areas. Um, and you know, I have my different opinion on that. I think riot is the, is the language of, of the marginalized, but but I get the nonviolence. I respect the nonviolence ethos. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to see him rail against things like war, starvation, poverty, and and government greed and capitalism. Um, so it's it's really interesting to see how his legacy has then been com- commodified. Um, and even this weekend, um, I had this conversation again with Caitlin Bird regarding um, you know am I am I afraid of Dr. King's legacy becoming commodified? Absolutely, I'm afraid. I'm terrified, and it is being co-opted and commodified. I got into some trouble a couple years ago because I, I saw some nonprofits um, using black people, black influencers, to um, prop up promotions for um, let's say a, a ride share. And I don't think I, it, I don't want to get into all of it, but I will say this. Um, you know, if anyone knows the basic about King Kingian values, the basics about Kingian values, 
um, you know, he's anti-capitalism. And so to use his day, his weekend, his memory to uh, encourage people to purchase anything on MLK weekend is egregious. And it's just such a, a, a gross um, ugh, a misuse of his legacy. He didn't die so he can, um, you know, so you can use him to market your goods. I don't care if it's for a nonprofit or not. You can't, you shouldn't sell anything in the name of Martin Luther King. And if you really are familiar with his values, the Kingian values, as I struggle with, um, you would know that. So that's one thing I want to keep in mind. And, and so, so yes, yeah, so someone asked me, well, you know, uh, the candidate you support is supposed to be coming down for the festivities. How do you feel about that? And I said, I feel great about that because I've seen that candidate actually listen to black folks, pay homage to um, historic figures in African-American and black history here. I've seen that person be accountable to women, to black women and to grassroots leadership. And to me, um, someone who's going to listen first to black folk before they come and join in the community and share space with black people on a day um, with such significance, that means a lot to me. Now, other uh, presidential candidates or other politicians that engage with the holiday, I can't say too much for it. I know commodification when I see it. I'm trying not to get. I'm trying not to go through the balls and strikes of um, of, of calling people out because that got me in trouble a little bit. But what I want, what I'd like to do is is point it out when I see it. So I know when folks are descending descending on South Carolina to um, to just you know be opportunistic and they see a bunch of black folk and influential black folk and the black political elite and the corporate Democrats and the establishment. And they want to come and they want to maximize their time in the state um, and, and, and capture that part of the electorate. But um, it's time for us to really just stand up and, and really listen to his daughter, Bernice, who's very active on, on social media and with their family's foundation. Listen to Bernice King. Hey, Trudy. Listen to um, Bernice King. Um, and, and as she reflects on her father's legacy, she I love following Bernice King because she always reminds us of who her father really was. So don't use her father to sell any goods. Don't use her father's uh, to talk about what he would do in time of war it, when he was a pacifist who was nonviolent. It's important that we understand that and not let his, his legacy become just fodder for anyone's election. Um, again, uh, this is Mike Dupont Ohm. I'm your host. Mika Gadsden. We're talking about the, the Radical King. For those on uh, Facebook, I am talking about the book, The Radical King, which was edited um, edited and introduced by Cornel West. This is a compilation of speeches, of uh, correspondences, um, and other things that remind you how radical Dr. King was. Um, and as I played a clip before the, I just started rambling, the clip I played was about how he was about that reparations gang, y'all. He was about that rec reparations. He was coming to Washington for his check shortly shortly before he was assassinated. He was he was mounting a campaign for poor people. That's you know that and that's still around today. That shout out to poor people's campaign, South Carolina. Um, you know that campaign is, has been resurrected. Hey D, um, that campaign has been resurrected, and um, those Kingian values of nonviolence and advocating for poor people of all colors is still something that we're striving for today. And, it, it, and a lot of people believe it was that economic message that really um, led to the his assassination. He was a very powerful and dangerous man. But today, we like to turn him into Santa Claus. This weekend, we want to turn him into Santa Claus and talk about I have a dream and, um, you know, hey, that you know, c c uh, children of every creed and color playing together. Yeah, that's great. Those are just the highlights. But he was talking about coming to get that check from Uncle Sam. He was talking about the democratization of money. He was an anti-capitalist. 
Um, so so remember, I'm, I know I'm repeating the same things over and over again. I just want to drill it in your head because this weekend you're going to see everything from Macy's one day sales to everything else. Um, I also want want folks to remember his connection. Remember Dr. King and remember Coretta Scott King's uh, connection to Charleston. Um, I will post again. I, I read from an article, or at least I alluded, uh, I, I pointed to an article written in July of uh, 1967 that if pictures. Um, it's a picture of Dr. Martin Luther King sitting next to Esau Jenkins, another amazing um, civil rights leader. Shout out to Abe Jenkins, his grandson, um, who I met a few weeks ago, um, who's amazing himself, carrying carrying on that torch of his grandfather and his father. But yeah, Dr. King came to uh, Charleston on a number of occasions. I believe 67 was the year of his last visit. Um, And also what people don't know is that, yeah, our hometown favorite, my hometown favorite, Septima Clark, he was very close with Septima Clark. He loved Mama Seppi. He he regarded her as the godmother um, of the civil rights movement. He trusted and relied upon her and worked with her and learned from her in such in such intimate ways that he actually took her with her with him to Geneva to get his Nobel Peace Prize. And she 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 was with him. She accompanied him on that trip. That's how close they was. Not only that, as you know, um, another and Septima Clark is another person who we like to turn into like a grandma figure, like this 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 old um, stodgy maternal figure. But Septima Clark was radical as hell. I'm trying not to curse on radio. <laughs> Septima Clark was radical as hell. She lost her job. She lost her pension, all because she was a member of the NAACP, which was viewed as a subversive organization by the government. The, the government did so much to strength to to, to um, they saw what what black educators were doing. And that's why I want to talk to Essie for Ed, because there's a connection between the empowerment of the educators that I'm seeing stand up to the, the current South Carolina legislation that's really harming schools and students and teachers. I really want to talk to you this weekend about the bus tour for Black Voters Matter next weekend. But but what what the what the state and what the government did was they saw this crop of, of black educators coming through um, all these South Carolina schools. A couple of years ago, I posted a Jet magazine cover that that had the um, had the little headline to it. But basically, they they said that any any black educator uh, or black student studying education, any future teacher that was a part of the NAACP, you would lose your certification, and you would never. Or if you had your certification, you just never will become. You wouldn't be hired, right? So think about how that pipeline of, of black educators was interrupted. Because they wanted to, to advocate for civil rights and for for, for better education, for uh, fair and equal schools and whatnot, um, you know. And so, what did they do? They did what they did to September Clark. They they fired. They, she was fired, and she not only fired after years of working, she was fired later in her years, y'all. She wasn't fired in age twenty. She wasn't fired while she was teaching on Johns Island. She was fired when after what two decades in the game, and she lost her pension. So they didn't even let her retire with her money that she earned. So what did she do? She went off and she she started the Highlander School and she taught people like uh, uh, Rosa Parks. And you know who else she taught from the Highlander Institute? Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That's right. He learned at the foot of Martin of, of Septima Clark. So I want y'all to see the ties to, to the King legacy to not just Esau Jenkins, but to Septima Clark as well. Right. Um, and then we have Coretta, too, coming in to advocate for the, uh, the hospital uh, worker strike at MUSC. 
So, um, but anyway, back to back to Septima Clark. So yeah, he regarded her highly. He learned from her. He took her to Geneva to get his Nobel Peace Prize, and also. Um, he loved what she was doing at the Highlander uh, uh, School, the Highlander Institute, where she was teaching folks how to be radical leaders, grassroots leaders in their own communities, teaching folks like Esau Jenkins how to start citizenship schools so you can um, uh, uh, educate folks and get them uh, literate enough to, to to pass the literacy test and, and also just to, to vote and, and just arming citizens with basic needs to be revolutionary radicals in their own communities. I know a lot of people like to think of my, of Septima Clark with just, you know, gray hair and, and, and these, you know, rim glasses. And now she was, she was, she was teaching people how to be radical and then they would go off to their respective cities throughout the country. And she taught Martin Luther King. He loved what she was doing so much at, at the, um, at the Highlander Institute that he replicated that they took that and they replicated that throughout the country. So that's another connection to, um, don't get me started on September Clark and her connections to the civil rights movement because there's a Fannie Lou Hamer story there too. So, yeah, it's important that we remember Dr. King and how he learned that he learned from radical women. <laughs> and there was a lot of radical women behind the civil rights movement. Shout out Ella Baker. Shout out um, Diane Nash. Um, September Clark, Fannie Lou Hamer just amazing women that Dr. King, his work wouldn't be what it, what it was without black women behind him. And that's another thing I think is important for people to, to remember. I, I had this conversation this morning that, you know, the world loves a black messianic figure, right? They love uh, Martin. They love Malcolm. They love to prop the black male figure up and, and lift him up as the, he's the only one, he's the savior. Um, and that's dangerous for two points, for two reasons. It's dangerous for that person, and it's also dangerous because it erases the work of those behind, it erases the queer people, you know, behind, um, behind, like, like Baynard Rustin, right? Like, it erases Septima Clark, it erases Rosa Parks, who wasn't just someone who just, um, you know, boycotted a bus. She did so much important work for black women. So we, it's important that we don't just lift up Dr. King without, without remembering the women behind him, especially his wife. And, of course, his daughters, who are still out there holding down his legacy as well. So this is Miked Up on OWN for those listening live. Like Miked Up on OWN, uh, I'm your host, Mika Gadsden. We're talking about how we can avoid whitewashing Dr. King's legacy as we approach Dr. King weekend here and King Day at the Dome in Columbia and a host of other festivities throughout Charleston and the Low Country. All right, so now I'm going to do that pivot to a very important woman in Dr. King's life, like I said, his wife, Coretta. So I want to play... I was now I'm just gonna play this one one minute and forty eight second clip about Dr. School about Coretta Scott King's legacy as an LGBTQ advocate. Okay, I'm gonna play that right now. I know those on Facebook, you're not gonna be able to hear it. I thought you would be, but I, I can't get it to work. But let's play this clip. Coretta Scott King's little-known history as an LGBTQ advocate. Coretta Scott King is remembered by most as the wife of Martin Luther King Jr. and a fierce advocate for racial equality in her own right. But did you know she was also a warrior for the LGBTQ community? The civil rights activist has been credited for making room for the LGBTQ community in the civil rights movement, a controversial move in the late 80s and early 90s. She faced backlash for her involvement with LGBTQ rights. Critics believe she should have paid her full attention to racial equality instead. I still hear people say that I should not be talking about the rights of lesbian and gay people, and I should stick to the issue of racial justice. But I hasten to remind them that Martin Luther King Jr. said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. 
1983, Coretta asked openly gay poet Audre Lorde to speak at a rally celebrating the 20th anniversary of the 1963 March on Washington. It was considered an unofficial welcome to the LGBTQ community from Coretta, the King Center, and the civil rights movement as a whole. In 1993, Coretta held a press conference urging President Bill Clinton to repeal his Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy, banning LGBTQ people from serving openly in the military. It would be 2011 before President Barack Obama repealed the rule. Coretta eventually shifted her focus to legalizing same-sex marriage nationwide. She publicly denounced President George W. Bush's support for a constitutional amendment banning gay marriage and fearlessly fought for nationwide same-sex marriage until her death in 2006. The Supreme Court wouldn't rule for nationwide same-sex marriage until 2015, nine years after Coretta's death. Share to spread Coretta's legacy of inclusion. That I, I love playing. I, I use that clip um, um, for those who... Hey, Facebook, I just played a clip about... Uh, just Let me just explain it. <laughs> I played a clip about Coretta Scott King and her legacy, uh, her work with um, a- advocating for uh, the queer community. She was against the, the gay marriage ban. She was against Don't Ask, Don't Tell. She was outspoken. And much like her husband, she faced a lot of criticism for kind of straying outside the quote-unquote lines of just civil rights advocacy and black issues. And, and like Dr. King always says, you know, an injustice, you know, what injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. I know I just butchered that quote. I'm so sorry. But my point is he knew that just, you know, you can't just advocate for one person. We have to advocate for all of humanity. And that's what she embodied. And I think that's important for you to remember, not just the um not just the, the radical um king, but remember the radical queen. Um, wow, they really doing a whole show outside. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that on the radio. Uh, this is Mike Up on Om. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden. And um, we're talking about us. Uh, we're talking about the legacy, the radical le- legacy of Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., his ties to Charleston and the Low Country, his work here, learning from uh, Septima Clark, his work with Esau Jenkins here. Um, right now, I'm looking at a picture of Coretta Scott King speaking up uh, at Morris Brown AME Church. Uh, in 1969, this is courtesy of the Avery Center. Shout out again to the Avery Center. Uh, your archive is dope. We, I leverage it often. And so basically, um, I wanted to just make sure that we remember Coretta as well. Let me see. We got 15 minutes left in the radio show. Um, yeah, okay. So what I wanted to do is talk a little bit more about Coretta. So, yeah, Coretta is also, um, we should also remember her work here in Charleston. As many people know, if you Google Coretta Scott and MUSC or Coretta Scott Hospital Strike, you'll see these iconic images of her uh, with the sea of hospital workers behind her. And she's wearing like this um, this wedge cap, uh, like a classic style, like union wedge cap. Uh, and she's just advocating for labor and for, for she's pro-worker. Uh, and, uh, and and unfortunately, MUSC, from what I understand, from what I've read, MUSC is still dealing with uh, a lot of the issues that they dealt with back in the 60s in terms of worker disenfranchisement, especially workers of color. Um, all too often in Charleston throughout, even in hospitality and hospital work, um, I've already talked to y'all at ad nauseum like, about my mom being a former uh, healthcare worker who came down here and couldn't find an opportunity and was encouraged to, to sweep hospital floors, which is a, a noble profession, but not the profession she was seeking. Um, I just see um, black 
black labor just be relegated to like the depths of whatever, right? Like pay wise. Uh, and it's just amazing to see that Coretta was here in um, following her, fo- following her husband's assassination. Let me just read. It says, um, read from the, the page from the archive, uh, dozens of labor leaders, civil rights activists and liberal politicians visited Charleston in the spring of 1969, particularly those stirred by the movement's blend of union power and soul power. United Auto Workers President Walter Ruther presented the workers with a $10,000 first down payment and promised to send $500 each week for the duration of the strike. So this is just the the, the support coming in for the hospital strike. Let me skip down to... um, let me skip down to Coretta's part. So no visit generated as much press and excitement as that of Coretta Scott King a year after the assassination of her husband during a similar labor, labor and civil rights struggle in Memphis, Tennessee, wearing a blue and white paper cap like those worn by strikers. King stood beside her father-in-law, Martin Luther King Sr., and her brother-in-law, A.D. King, to address a mass rally at Emmanuel AME Church in downtown Charleston on April 29th. So I just think it's dope um, that we remember her legacy, her work here. She had, and it's really, if you guys would do me a favor, please um, go on YouTube and look up Doc, uh, Coretta Scott King, um, her speech at Harvard. She did a speech at Harvard, which was phenomenal. Again, it was following her husband's assassination. And it really, it talked about, it was like almost, um, it was, it was uncanny in that it was, it was like she was time traveling, right? So she was talking about, she was talking about uh, the digital surveillance. In in essence, she was talking about becoming a technocracy, meaning that technology taking over and us becoming uh, people who who uh, prioritize things over people. She talked about all of these things that we talk about now. Um, she talked about the ills of capitalism. She had her own theories. She had her own her own thought. And it was just a, a, f- a phenomenal speech she gave at Harvard. I don't think enough people really reference that or know about that speech, but it's on YouTube. Um, uh, just put in Coretta Scott King, Harvard, and I think it's 69. It might be 69, like n- not too far from when she came down to Charleston for the hospital strikers um, work, uh, hospital strike. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, so as I, let me just try to do a, a graceful dismount. Um, yeah, so as we head into the weekend, it's important that we remember Dr. King's legacy. I want y'all to at least try to find an audiobook version of the Radical King. Um, learn more about Coretta Scott King's advocacy, especially for LGBTQ rights. Um, also, beware of politicians trying to use Dr. King's legacy uh, to, I don't know, just quoting it or using it and when they don't embody those values, when their policies don't reflect those Kingian values. Be leery of not just companies and corporations um, taking Dr. King's legacy and using it to sell things for this weekend. Uh, I encourage you to also check these nonprofits that like to leverage the King legacy in efforts to kind of um, to speak to, um, uh, to try to, to, to kind of concoct the image or propose um, propel an image of, um, you know, Kingian values when they don't embody those values. And by all means, please try not to buy as much. Don't try to buy too much on King Day. Um, you know, he was anti-capitalist. So that's kind of like the thing I try to do is try not to buy anything. Um, I'm not trying to tell anyone what to do, but just trying to think about capitalism on that day and, and read about his views on that. And, you know, he was a socialist. And I know that's a scary word to some people, but... Um, it's not it's not that scary at all. It's not scary at all, actually. So look about look up 
Dr. King's view on socialism. Um, as I close out, and you can probably hear the guitar playing, that's like my exit music, I guess. Um, you really can hear it. I'm looking at the waveform to see, like, wow, you really can hear this guitar. <laughs> um, but uh, they're, they're performing uh, outside of the radio station. Um, yeah, so uh, this uh, next weekend, guys, remember, prepare for Black Black Voters Matter. Um, the bus tour is coming to South Carolina. Uh, wow. The bus tour is coming to South Carolina uh, next weekend. Uh, that's going to be the 24th and 25th. Uh, excuse me, 20, yeah, 24th, 25th, 26th. Um, I'm trying to make sure that everyone is uh, who wants to come um, thank you, D. I sound amazing. That's the um. There's a artist outside here warming up. <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, yeah. So the Black Voters Matter tour is coming to Charleston, and coming to um Columbia, coming to Edie Town, and coming to uh, Pineville next weekend. If you please, if you know any teachers who um would love to just just stop and interact, uh, <laughs> stop to interact with um. Uh, with the Black Voters Matter tour, of course, we prioritize black communities and I've already identified black groups that we need to stop and, and visit with. But I really want to encourage those um, who are allies to also support Black Voters Matter uh, and look out for the tour bus. It's the blackest bus in America. And um, I'm hoping to plan other visits, subsequent visits, of course, leading up to the primary Um and of, of course, just yeah, y'all just continue to support this show, uh, support Black Voters Matter. I'm so distracted. I can't because the, the music, I'm competing with music outside. But um, I'm going to sign off a little bit early. Uh, please look out for this show. Um, please download, subscribe. Um, yeah, download, subscribe, rate, share, mic'd up on OM. I upload the show um, either every Friday or a Saturday morning, and you can find it on SoundCloud and iTunes. So please continue to support it. I appreciate you all. Please head into the MLK weekend thinking of the Radical King and the Radical Queen, Coretta Scott King. All right, and um, check me out on IG too if you if you can. Please check me out on IG. I'm going to be posting um, photos and flyers commemorating all of Dr. King's work and his stops here in Charleston this weekend. And hopefully, hey, CT, hopefully we will um, make sure that we remember Dr. King and as the radical leader. Hey, Roderick. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, Roderick. So, yeah, in Columbia, you're going to be in Columbia this weekend. And Sunday, okay, it's uh, Mike the Bingo time. My friend Benny Starr and Roderick are going to be performing at the Columbia Museum of Art as native son all right so if you're gonna be uh if you're looking for a way uh to commemorate dr king they're doing a radical revolutionary performance of like a mashup of um uh of like the movement songs songs of the movement uh and and benny Starr's mu music and roger's doing some dope reproductions of some stuff so please um, go to Columbia, go to the Columbia Music of, uh, Museum of Art this weekend, head to their Facebook page, head to their website for more details on that, or all the festivities around MLK Day this weekend, and check out the blackest bus in America coming to South Carolina next weekend, all right? Until next time, y'all, um, yeah, all my black people, because I'm talking to black people always, uh, stay black. <laughs> Bye.